Hello there, and welcome to the Scripts Aloud podcast. Let us entertain you with scripts brought to life and death. Join us once a fortnight, where you can listen, laugh, and cry to a mashup of mayhem, misdemeanors, and mirth. The individual talents of the Scripts Aloud team are mind-blowing, but when they're blended, refined, and tuned to one output, watch out, world! We hope that you enjoy this week's episode, featuring a collection of the team's writings. There'll hopefully be something to make you laugh, maybe something to make you cry. Or possibly something to make you cringe. Give Me Strength by Mick Rowe. Shit. Three and a half hours of my life I'll never get back. I've been stuck in the car with Dennis the Dragon. Woman-hater, doom and gloomer, worst of all, father-in-law. I'd set the sat-nav and G'd myself up. Half an hour in and ting-ting, current route plus four hours. Would you like to reroute? Yes, yes, I most definitely did want to. But oh no, it's tradition in our family to have a ten-minute debate about whether or not the sat-nav knows what it's on about. Ignore it, piped up Godzilla in his forty-a-day dulcet tones. It'll be clear by the time we get to that bit. He sat there picking at his fingers, concentrating so hard that his tongue clicked against his top row of false teeth and lifted them up and out of his mouth. I clocked this in my rear view mirror and gagged. The one saving grace was that he wasn't pissed yet. Oh no, that joy's still to come. Hopefully he'll have the decency to hold off until the vows have been said. At the last wedding, his phone went off after the vicar asked if anyone knew of any reason why they shouldn't get married. I reckon he staged the whole thing. Next joy of the journey, he piped up with these words of wisdom. I don't know why people bother anymore. They'll be divorced in a few years. Women, they're all the same. You mark my words. Jesus, hello? Woman present? Two hours in and Smog was still muttering under his breath about why we're going this way and blah, blah, blah. Thank God for Radio 4 Extra. It's tiring though, isn't it? Cutting out background noise. I used to be quite good at zoning out, but at that point his voice was grating on me, like fingernails on a chalkboard. A coffee stop, that's what I needed. He could top up his nicotine levels then. Refreshed and buzzing. Third cup of the day? Not even the stench of smoke could dampen my coffee high. Ting, ting. Plus 20 minutes. Would you like to reroute? Oh, Kilgara delighted in telling me that what an idiot I was. Obviously, he knew this would happen if we stopped. I didn't hang around this time and immediately clicked yes. Oh my God, his tuts echoed around the car. Nostrils in attack position, flared and swollen. A sweet toffees. 
I scrambled around in the glove box and dished them out. Surely that had shut him up. If you ask me... Nobody had, and certainly wouldn't, not whilst you've got a chuffing toffee in your mouth. He's not good enough. Uh, oh, spittle flew everywhere. Oh, I breathe in and out. In and out. Oh, the sight of that black and white flag. Ah, ting, ting. You have arrived at your destination. With any luck, he'll be so hungover on the way back, he won't be able to speak. Give Me Strength was written and performed by Mick Rowe. Via Oxidoray, written by Paul Denial. Performed by Mick Rowe and Paul Denial. I painfully extricated my shaking body from the wrecked Jaguar, struggling to understand what had just happened. Mere moments ago, my wearied mind was being soothed by Chopin and his ballad in C minor, then bang! A huge, dark body imploded the windscreen, causing me to skid to a blinded, screeching stop. Massaging my bruised chest, the realisation depressingly dawned that rather than my Friday night indulgence of a cherished single malt, a peaty precursor to sleep, I would be facing a long night of phone calls, a rescue truck and, likely, increasingly bodily aches. The car would be a write-off, the damage to the crease roof and pillars unrepairable. But the damage to the once magnificent stag was clearly equally fatal. Looking at its lolling pink tongue, lifeblood draining from open mouth, my depression deepened. I regretfully started back to the open door to retrieve my mobile when a small voice stopped me. Too bad. I spun in quick circles. What the? I couldn't see anyone. I must have imagined it. I said... Too bad. There had to be someone standing outside the wash of headlights. Here. Down here. Rabbit? Concussion. I must have hit my head. You've had an accident. (laughs) Yes, I know. You've killed one of my creatures. Your creatures? Yes. They're all my creatures. The ones killed on the roads. But... I am their god, you see. God? Yes, I am Oxidoray, god of roadkill. Rabbit? I thought this form may put you at ease. Ease? Is this more acceptable? Sheep. A fat, woolly sheep materialised. Or is this preferred? Fox? I sat down hard on the very unyielding tarmacadam surface. I held my head. I felt sick. It was an accident. I understand that. It happens a lot, you see. All around your world. No blame. Pig. Grunt. There is no such thing 
as a god of roadkill. There most certainly is. Or don't you think these poor souls deserve one? Eagle. A massive, razor-beaked, taloned eagle. A moment, if you will. As it lifted, I saw, imagined, dreamed, nightmared, a shadow pass over the stag, lying half in, half out of my car. It gave a deep, hot sigh, a final exhalation of life, and then stilled. Badger! I do this for every incident, you know. Every poor creature has to release their soul, else... I vomited. They never know what happened. It's so quick, and quite outside of their understanding. Peacock! Actually, a, a rather beautiful peacock. So I smiled. So I help them. But millions, billions. Time is somewhat different for me, for us. We gods. But yet, it still presses. Well, run along then. I've phone calls to make, a rescue to organise, a tow truck. Ah, no, you haven't. Uh, yes, I have. Not necessary. Really, not necessary. How so? Look in the car. I stared at the pointedly penetrating antlers. I sat down again, even harder. Come along. It won't hurt any longer. But... I told you. I am the god of roadkill. You're all my creatures. The Adventures of Chris and Dom Gavin the Tittle-Tattle Thatcher Written by Mark Manley and Paul Denial. Performed by Mark Manley, Paul Denial and Mick Rowe. was the best yet, you lovely, magnificent beast, you. Oh, I've never, well, not four times, not ever. Oh, you're the only one that can ever satisfy me. Oh, quickly now. Oh, but wait till I check the coast is clear and I'll let you sleep out of my get. Oh... Oh, goodbye. Till next time, my love. Stay strong. 
Oh, roam free, my great big bear. Thatcher I be, and a Thatcher I am, a Thatcher away and around. I Thatcher's all day, and I Thatcher's all. I loves my job, I does, up here above. I gets all different view of things. I sees more than most from my lofty perch. For instance, look there, look, crash yonder, that's old Blackston. Well, I, I says old, he's near enough 32, so not long for this life. Any road, he's always playing with the kids, and there he goes on all fours, bearskin on his back, letting the little buggers chase him. Like as not, they'll chuck him in the fire or the river again. Like as not, he'll near drown again. But he allus comes back for more, not that he's got any choice. He'd best get a move on there, near catching him. Why, what we got here then? What's that stirring in the pigsty? What? Oh, it, it's one of them travelling folks what was telling their tales last night. Here, what you doing sleeping in that pig shit then? Oh, I, I reckon you passed out in there, did you? Oh, dear, dropped too much mead last night, Miss Minstreller. Or was it a bad leg of swan or boiled pigeon teeth? Or maybe them sour hedgehog eggs? Mouldy acorn perchance. I, I heard you was revelling till the cock crowed, you and your fellow entertainer. I heard as how you nearly drunk the barrels dry. I heard as how you was boasting that no one in the land could quaff like you. I heard... Oh, shut your tittle-tattle prattle, Thatcher. What do you know? <laughs> I heard as how... What the? Who's in my thatch? Oh, oh, great. That's just great. And who's going to clean that up, eh? I've got deadlines, I have. Thatch don't lay itself, you know. Oh, no. Neither do good young girls lay. No, but my girl, my bad girl... She got herself all familyed up, didn't she? And who's going to feed her fatherless offspring, eh? Least I'll never be out of work. Thatcher I was born, Thatcher I am, and Thatcher I'll always be till my dying day. And then my son will be a Thatcher, see? People will always want a thatch roof over their heads, and Thatcher's... Oh, for the sake of pity, shut up! Dom, what are you doing there? Uh, I just think that a thatch bed were a better idea than your choice of mud uh, and whatever splashed out of them pigs. And, oh, common Thatcher. Gavin. Pardon? 
My name is Gavin, if you're at all interested. Right. Gavin, would you please, as my friend asked, just shut your mouth. Stop criticising both of us and your fine accommodating daughter and point us in the direction of refreshment. You what? He implores you to cease, desist and forthwith hold your tongue, Mr Thatch. Gavin, your opinions and pitiable little life are of no interest to either of... Careful, Dom, you may slip if... <laughs> well met, hail fellow. Oh, and a good day to you, friend, companion and fellow... <laughs> Written and performed by Mark Manley. Her fingers grip the edge of the wicker basket, its weave scratching against Marie's soft hands as she sits waiting. She grinds her teeth, swallows, buying time before looking up at the guillotine looming over her, the cruel blade dazzling in the sun, just waiting for the tug of a rope to whistle down onto the next poor rich man or woman. The crowd around her screams as the first cartload of defeated souls arrives baying for the splash of blood. Her basket is empty. The bottom of it dyed darker by a nation's vengeance, and Marie must fill it for Madame before she can return. Wigs are still in great demand, Marie, she had said. They won't chop your privileged little head. No, you're too filthy now, and you'll be carrying bloody heads. A keening wail pierces the noise of the crowd as a stout woman is dragged from the cart and up onto the platform. She sags, panting wildly, her resistance fading. A hush descends, and Marie is glad the woman doesn't see her. Madame de Champ had been a good friend to her mother before, but then everything had changed. Marie forces herself to watch the last of her moments, smells the fear run from her, and then down the grease track it comes, a rush, chop, and her head tumbles to rest, crimson life just spilling out. Her ears are deafened as the mob jostles and roars its approval. Under the veil of noise, she reaches for the head and lifts it gently into her basket, 
sweeping the hair from Madame de Champ's face, her thumb wiping closed the lady's eyes. She will sit through another three or maybe four more souls with sufficiently good hair before she leaves. She pulls a rough cloth over her basket and breathes in deeply. The remnants of Madame de Champ are thrown dripping into a second cart and with theatrical exaggerated slowness the executioners turn to face their next victim. It's a carousel of horrors and so the heads begin to roll. Her fingers grip the basket's handles, knuckles white and Marie slips from the crowd, turns down narrow pungent lanes en route to Madame. Occasionally passing beggars or hooded figures scuttling in the shadows. After a time, she sees the shop ahead and turns down a path to the rear. Never again will she risk Madame's venomous eyes for bringing a harvest of heads through the front door. Her back is still tender from the beating. On opening the back door, soft laughter trills from the shop. Thick velvet curtains separating it from the shoddy kitchen where Marie stands, heads in hand. The purring lilt of Madame gently coaxes a better price from a powdered client. Marie places the basket by the old stone sink and pulls back the cover. I will pray for you all, she whispers, her hand stroking a stranger's head. What do I do? She asks the dead woman, caught between caring for the murdered and despair at her own future. The dead woman ignores her, and animated voices behind the drapes lure her away. She is silent as a mouse, one small finger parting the drapes a fraction. Breath carefully spent, and she sees finally the drawstring velvet bag under the counter that holds Madame's money. Cautiously, Marie turns to begin washing the new heads, stepping silently to the sink. But now she has a plan and almost relishes the trip to the guillotine tomorrow. Dawn has come and the drums have started. Marie is already dressed, her hair ragged, her face unwashed, the uniform of survival. Down the wooden stairs she goes, a smile sitting easily on her face. Ah, Marie, says Madame, her voice dripping with malice. You smile. Tell me, was it someone close yesterday? Marie shakes her head. Madame brings her face close glittering eyes sliding over Marie's now vacant stare. I will know when your parents meet the guillotine. You can't hide it from me. You're mine. Never forget, hmm? She waits for an answer. Marie nods. I'll never forget, madame. Though in Marie's head, it is not madame's threats she'll remember. She picks up her basket. 
looks to the door for permission. Do better today. You're expensive to feed. Go, go! Marie leaves, turns words over in her head. How she can phrase it, and again a smile curls her mouth as she faces the sun. Her basket is full, and she stumbles away from the blooded blade, watched by the pale eyes of the executioner from under his tricorn hat. Never has she felt such pain, and the stone in her chest aches unbearably. And yet she carries him, must get him away. Marie's eyes brim with loss, and it drips from her chin, splashing the rough cloth covering the horror of her brother's callous ending. All the way from the guillotine, warm drops of ruby have drizzled their sticky trail. She disappears round the bend in the road. And Charles Sanson is talking to others, whispering in ears, and rough men of ragged hair and vengeful eyes nod and smile at France's executioner of choice. They slide away from the guillotine, muskets and blades aloft, walking with swagger, with murder in mind. At the sink, Marie washes his face, pushes hair behind an ear, thumbs gently across his ivory face, and hers crumples in private grief, shielded by the closed drapes behind. She hears the door crash open, and Madame shrieks. Marie spins round at the jeers, the smashing of glass. She wills the drapes to stay closed, and crouches in fear. Seconds thump loudly in her ears. But then, crunching feet leave, and the screams recede to leave her alone, completely alone. Marie opens the drapes, slips inside, picks up the drawstring bag of velvet, weighing it in her hand, and stops. She pushes back through the curtain, crosses the kitchen, and softly kisses a forehead goodbye. That's it this week from the Scripts Aloud team. We hope you've enjoyed the ride. Join us in two weeks' time for more tall tales and comic capers that'll make you giggle or gasp.